Welcome to the College Scoops podcast. I'm your host, Moira McCullough, and today we are talking with Kate Stone on helping teens and young adults build self-awareness. The college essay is a really introspective process. You know, it's not like you're writing a five-paragraph English essay about your accomplishments. You're writing about what makes you, you. This is the College Scoops Podcast, and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college-related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college-related, and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members and even a College Scoops care package. Kate received her BS in communications and a minor in creative writing at New York University. She continued as a Princeton University teaching fellow in Asia shortly before starting her college consultancy, University Gurus. Kate transformed her passion for creative writing and storytelling into actionable strategies for the college admissions process. Kate has worked with hundreds of students who have gained acceptance to dozens of excellent institutions, including but not limited to Columbia University, Stanford, University of Chicago, NYU, Brown, Berkeley, UPenn, and USC. Welcome to the College Scoops podcast, Kate. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited to talk to your audience about the college essay process and everything that I've learned over the last 10 years teaching this stuff. And hopefully I can help demystify it a little bit. You work with so many young adults, students who are applying to college, and then you work with a lot of young women coaching them and trying to instill confidence and self-awareness. How do you even get involved with helping students and young women in particular? Oh my God, that's a really amazing question. And I actually don't mind getting a little bit personal about how I started. My own high school experience and college experience was really difficult and really challenging. My young adulthood was not smooth, which I think, you know, a lot of young adults can feel that way. But mine in particular was rocky, messy. I had very little guidance. There was addiction going on in my family at the time. I was essentially kind of adrift without much support or real wisdom. People actually saying to me, stop a second, check your behavior and ask yourself what's motivating this, what's underneath what's going on inside of you. And so I took a big journey. I I did a Princeton University teaching fellowship in Asia. And then I ended up in Bali and I was working with young kids there, specifically young women. And I got into 12-step program, which is for families of alcoholics, Al-Anon program. So it was the first time I was in a room with a group of adults who were being so vulnerable and honest about how they felt and about what their challenges were. And I was like, wow, I feel the same way. This is the first time anyone's 
been so transparent about what they're going through and I'm going through it and I've had no one to talk to for most of my life about this. And so I, you know, developed relationships with adults in those rooms and then it sort of parlayed into my teaching. So while I was tutoring, I was also applying the wisdom that I was learning in those rooms to my coaching and teaching with these 13, 14, 15 year olds on this beautiful island in Indonesia. And I remember actually one of my mentors saying to me, pay very close attention to the work you're doing right now. It's important. And it's probably going to carry on throughout your life. And he was absolutely right. And, you know, I came back, pursued a career in acting, went to theater school in New York City, came to Hollywood, and I was teaching the whole time, the last decade, and uh, doing college essays and teaching writing. And if listeners are out there wondering about the college essay, the college essay is a really introspective process. You know, it's not like you're writing a five paragraph English essay about your accomplishments. You're writing about what makes you, you, what are the values that encapsulate your life and how have you demonstrated those values and what are the challenges you've had and what are the questions you've been pondering? And it's supposed to be conversational and introspective and much less formal than I think students assume it should be. That's usually the comment I get is, oh my God, I didn't know it could be this informal. It's a surprise for most students. When I listen to you describe it like that, it kind of opens up so many ideas because they have to be vulnerable. And it's not easy to be vulnerable. So I think that's the first thing that you've just demystified and de-stressed. This is hard. It's not easy. It's hard because you're doing a lot of self-reflection and introspection and figuring out you, which is not easy. What makes you tick? I mean, I work with a lot of students and some of them are very high achievers and they've accomplished a lot in their high school career. And when we get to this part of introspection and coming up with what are our ideas, what are the themes we're going to explore? They often stop and go, I didn't, I can't believe I've never done this before. I can't believe I've never asked these questions before. Like we have them doing so much that we don't offer them space or time or a container to stop and really ask themselves, why are they doing this stuff? What is the purpose to really enjoy the process of learning? I remember I was at some high school event for one of my kids and there was a speaker who succinctly said basically that we're always worried about the next five years and we're always trying to get there, but we've never stopped to enjoy the moment. And then he said, so you're trying in high school to get on that team. And then you're trying to get into college. And then you're trying to get to grad school. You're trying to get married. You wake up at six, you're exhausted. And you're like, what for? It was a blur. I don't think of mental health inner education, which is what I teach. I teach inner education for the outer world. This is not peripheral. This is not a tack on. This is core fundamental to your external success. It's a requirement. You know, yes, you can have a ton of external success in the world. There's plenty of examples to prove it. But a lot of the time, those people, when they're open enough and when you get them on podcasts or you listen to them in conversation, they reveal the struggle it's been to match their outer success with their inner world to feel like they have some control and semblance of satisfaction with their inner life and how they feel inside. So it's very interesting and telling about our culture. And for somebody too, like yourself, who can share your experience that you had, which was, as you said, really, really hard under circumstances that you may not have shared with anyone trying to figure out how am I doing this all by myself, just trying to get by day to day and feeling so lonely in that capacity and coming out 
the person who you are. I'd just love to go back to that Princeton fellowship. Like, how did that happen? How did that oh, come God, to be? that happened. You know, first of all, I value higher education. Went to NYU. So I clearly thought, get all the credentials, get the certificates, <laughs> do all the thing. And I think that there's a lot of value in that because whether or not I was able to use it and maximize it without the inner education tools Mm -hmm. at that age. Like now I think God, if I could do it over again, God, I would do it so differently because I love learning now. I love learning now. I think for me, it was just, I listened to my guidance. I've always had a very strong inner GPS and my inner GPS was saying, you need to go out into the world. You need to have an experience that totally shakes up your identity, what you think you know about the way life is. And you need to go as far as you can into a new experience because there's something in that for you. And so for me, you know, I was in LA, I, the year after college, after I graduated, I was in Los Angeles. I was working in emerging tech. I was really unhappy and I just kept pursuing this. It took about a year and I just kept pursuing it. I probably emailed them like every week. And then finally, like we have an opening in the school in Thailand. Do you want to go? And it was immediate. Yes, I'm going. I knew nothing about teaching when I started. I knew a whole lot more when that program finished, but I, I always think, for students who are listening out there, you got to follow your gut because you don't really know. Life is not linear. We don't know what our lives are going to end up being. I did not know I would be doing what I'm doing now, working with young women, developing curriculums, teaching empowerment programs. I think it was like sort of an idea I had in my head of empowerment as a value to feel empowered, to be in authority in some way, which I actually hear that from a lot of students. I use this Pear Deck technology and a lot of my students are able to contribute anonymously to a lot of the exercises that we do in these college essay workshops. And what I find is that they have this feeling like there's an enormous potential inside of them and they feel crushed their words under the weight of their own self-doubt and the expectations Mm. of the people around them. And they just don't know if they have what it takes, but they know they have something. And so it's like their life, especially young adulthood is like sculpting that out and following these breadcrumbs without expectation, with just the joy of learning, the joy of the experience. I love the Harvard Divinity Bulletin. It's beautiful. It's a whole bunch of spiritual teachers and seekers who are highly academic and intellectual talking about spiritual wisdom. There was one year where they talked about how important it is to travel out from the known center without a passport, how important that time is to be hanging in the wings of your life. Like, what am I doing? Who am I? What is my life? It's such a precious, precious experience to have that we avoid because we want comfort. We want safety. Mm -hmm. People want to have a good job or a good salary. That's not actually what produces the magic, the inspiration, the ideas that are meant for us and that we're meant for. And so take those risks. If there's something, anything that I learned from the Princeton program or anything I've done, take those risks. It might not make sense, but over time, it will form a picture that is really beyond what you could have imagined for yourself at 20 or 19 or 17. At first I would have said, oh, that was so transformative for you. But in a lot of ways, you were given the space, the safety net of the people that you were with. You mentioned you had a mentor who like encouraged this curiosity and vulnerability and being open. And I think sometimes we say, oh, it was so transformative, but you had it in you. You just didn't have the opportunity, the confidence, the ability to share. Your work with students too are allowing them the 
safety net to explore. Absolutely. When you say the challenges that you see a lot of students are faced with right now, you mentioned kind of like the rat race. You're on a routine. Every minute is programmed and you're doing things without questioning. Is this what I love? Is this what I want to do? Will this make me happy? I always think that humor is one of the best things. You have to smile every day. You have to enjoy what you're doing. So how do you start that process with students and get them to uncover those hidden gems that they have? inside. Right off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is building trust with students. Mm -hmm. I have to build trust with my students, number one. And how do you do that? Well, you listen intently to what they're really saying, saying and not saying, and you offer them your unconditional love and support and understanding and compassion. And it's through that process that when you really listen to someone, I think that the highest purest form of love is listening. I really do. And when we listen to a young person share, what happens is really interesting. I'll give you an example from my own mentor. When I was going through the things I was going through, we would sit sometimes for eight hours at a coffee shop on a Saturday. We would talk about a lot of different topics and often it would come back to my own fears and concerns and anxieties. And what he did was he sat and listened lovingly. So by doing that, I began to trust him. I began to hear my my own sort of like a neurofeedback in a way of what I was saying. For instance, if I was talking to my mom at that time, she would try to fix, she would try to come up with excuses for what I was feeling the way I'm feeling. She would try to come up with just solutions that just kept me in a spiral of victim, you know, that victim, anger, perpetrator, that whole spiral, guilt spiral that we get into with our family members specifically. It's a really common thing we get stuck in because it's, you know, our family is where we have, I think the most work to do in a lot of ways because we have no choice. We can't get away from them. Right. <laughs> Friends you can choose, so, the families you can't. I think what happened was number one, unconditional love and listening, neurofeedback. I was able to just be who I was in that moment. I didn't have to be more evolved. I didn't have to be more wise. I didn't have to be more free or happy. I could just be. And the third thing was that person, that mentor was able to help me manage my mind by asking me questions based on his acute listening skills. So I was able to be prompted to go deeper, to go underneath what I was feeling on the surface. Because when we have a feeling on the surface, that's it. That's all it is. It's on the surface. There's usually a need and sometimes a capital T or a lowercase t trauma underneath that. So it's just about working backwards to let go of the story that we're telling ourselves to find out what the story is, to step into awareness of that story, and then to begin to inquire, ask questions questions that get through the layers and the layers and the layers of this. And it's a process. It can take through your twenties. It took me the entirety of my twenties to begin to really understand my unconscious drives, my subconscious motivations and fears to be perfectly frank. And I do the same thing with my students, with my heart speak girls for my empowerment school. It's a process of guiding them into themselves. It's a course on themselves. <laughs> That's okay. how I describe it. It's a course on yourself. And if you don't learn about yourself, you're just going to be guided by the unconscious stuff, which is totally fine. And sometimes there's stuff in that for us. Sometimes there's lessons that we have to have with direct experience, but it's not every difficult learning experience is absolutely necessary. I think with the right kind of education, this inner education, we can minimize a lot of the mess that goes along with young adulthood and that transition into, okay, what's my path? 
Where am I going? We can get in touch with ourselves. I don't know why we're not doing that. I'm sure you know, there's a huge industry now of personal development, retreats, mm-hmm. inner work. You know, it's huge for adults. It boggles my mind that we don't offer this in schools. It's so essential. Like, why should we wait until they're 30 and like, oh my God, I've made all these choices and I'm so unhappy. Why should we wait for that moment? Let's do it earlier. That's what I think. That's my philosophy. And I'm not quite sure why, because it isn't that hard to implement. You have to be willing to do it. There's no right answer. You get so into certain courses, certain teaching philosophies that don't require that level of depth and curiosity and inquiring that there's not a right answer at the end of it. It's more of what you learn about yourself. And that's something that can't quantify. Maybe that's why it can't be implemented. And there's a lot of people who probably are uncomfortable with that, teaching it first off and listening to it. It's scary to start teaching this. I've been teaching college essays and writing and other subjects for years. When I started teaching inner work and I've been doing inner work for, you know, over a decade, it was confronting because the key is that the more vulnerable and available I am to my own stuff that arises, because I'm looking at these girls and I'm going, oh my God, I know I've been where you are. And I'm thinking it and I'm like holding space for her. And I'm also going little Katie too. I see you too. And I think you have to have a certain level of your own personal development journey underneath Mm -hmm. your belt to be able to even show up for these kids in that way. Because it does take a lot of spiritual capacity, personal capacity to do that work. And I think that's a really good way to phrase it because that's scary. And it's a lot of work. It can be mentally draining, both for the person Mm -hmm. teaching it and for the recipient, because you said very clearly, like the listening component is so important to just clarify, you do a lot of work helping students with their college essays, the personal statements, helping them express who they are and what they're all about in a way that would resonate and that would really share and enlighten somebody about why me? Did you start your other coaching and mentoring with young women as a result of or through some of your work with students in the college application process? And you're like, oh, there's a greater need here too at a younger age? Or how did that come about? Absolutely. Because working with teenagers, both boys and girls, when I got them, I'm working with them, my one-on-one students for four to six months at a time, we're going deep. We're strategizing topics. We're asking hard questions. I'm learning about what makes them tick. You know, I'm wearing the hat of the editor, the writer, the ideator, the therapist, the coach. And I'm always switching depending on like where we're at in the conversation. But what I found was When I got them, I was like, okay, I need to give them a crash course in social emotional skills. I couldn't believe how lacking 90%, maybe there was like 10%, mostly girls who had a capacity for social emotional skills, who had some abilities there, deep thinkers, abstract thinkers, conceptual thinkers, but the social emotional element was sorely lacking. And a lot of these kids were really intelligent getting into Ivy League schools. But that's the thing. (laughs) What we learned, especially, and this is good for everyone out there to know, is that the Harvard admission scandal taught us a lot about what these schools are really looking for. And what I found was that they're looking for students who've been on a personal development journey. That was like the number one thing that emerged out of the litigation materials and the court documents and the interviews and the depositions. And I've said this before, it is the unspoken thing. Like not only do colleges want to know that you've been on a personal development journey of some kind, but so do employers. Why? Because it imbues a student with a certain level of resiliency. Mm -hmm. When you're able to communicate your 
personal development journey, it communicates I'm resilient. I have capacity for hard things and hard questions. I have the capacity to move through my challenges and be aware of them and tackle them in a conscious, considered, thoughtful way. And that says a lot. It says a lot to people who want to hire you, who want to invite you to their campus. And this is the trick. I want to communicate the difference between, okay, cool. So all I have to do is communicate my vulnerability and I'm good. Okay. So proceed with caution on that because there is a difference. When we're sharing vulnerability, we want to make sure that that vulnerability is not an overshare, that that vulnerability is coming from a place of, I've truly asked questions about this. I've had conversations about this. I've talked with mentors. I've spoken with a therapist, perhaps I've spoken with a counselor counselor. I've sought out the guidance of adults and I've come to a place where I really understand myself better in the context of this challenge, in the context of this really vulnerable experience that I've had. And I feel good about sharing it and it's honoring of myself if I share it. And I'm going to be careful to not include details that I don't need to include, Mm -hmm. but be very considerate about the details that I do choose to include. The other thing that I've seen is when students just use vulnerability as a way to build connection that almost is using it as a gimmick. Somebody who is using a vulnerable story or something really traumatic that happened to them that hasn't fully processed that or come to a place of a deeper understanding of the meaning of that experience for them, the person who's reading that is going to cringe and it's going to be uncomfortable for them and it's not going to be a good look for you. And not because you're wrong or you're bad or you've made a mistake, but because the reader is feeling for you, is feeling uncomfortable for the experience that you are clearly still moving through. You clearly need to work through still. There is a big difference between sharing vulnerability for the sake of it and sharing vulnerability that you've genuinely done some work on. When you described it like that as a reader and having a student say, well, I just shared this really personal situation, but absolutely the way you've described it is you're sharing it, but haven't worked through it. You haven't delved into it. And so what? I hate to say it as a reader. It's like, well, what do you want us to do except for feel your pain and feel like you're going through something really challenging? but you haven't processed it or you haven't learned from it. You haven't moved on from it. That's hard as an admissions reader to do anything more than just like, okay, what do we do now? You know, and just push it off to a lost opportunity. It's actually a huge red flag. We're in a mental health epidemic. So a lot of students are asking me, well, I have this mental health issue. Should I write about it? And it's like, proceed with caution on that too, because oftentimes writing about mental health issues can raise more flags than anything else. And again, not because there's something wrong with you, but because they're worried about if you come to their campus, do they have the resources to support you, to help you? Really good point, because you always hear that coming up in terms of the topics. There are topics that are, as you said, red flags, no-go zones, and proceed with caution, but almost there are other things that you could write about that would be better. And I want to clarify too, Kate, I have boys as well as a daughter, but what you're doing too, is when you clarified, you work with students, men and women, and that the hard part too, is women sometimes are more comfortable sharing and voicing their vulnerabilities. And there's a lot of boys, young men who are not in an environment where that is received well, encouraged. So that's great work that you're doing too, trying to help those young boys and men share who they are and be vulnerable and trust that it's okay to share this feeling or this story or these emotions with somebody. You know what I see? Again, this anonymous technology is kind of amazing because I learned so much about teenagers 
like on the back end of this technology, seeing their answers to like, if you really knew me, you would know, finish that sentence. And then what does vulnerability mean to you? And the boys more often than not will define vulnerability as something that makes you weak. And girls will often define it as something that reveals more about who you are. And that's the difference in interpretation between male, female, which I find really interesting. When I have been trying to always encourage my sons, it takes somebody who's strong to be able to admit and express themselves in a way that is vulnerable and open. And that's not easy, but it's the strong person who can do that. Advice, because I know we have to have you come back on. There's so much here to talk about, but advice too for parents. I'm a mom. I want to like swoop in and help and like take care of my cubs when Whenever they're going through a tough time. Any advice that you would have? And you mentioned too, when talking with your mom, how there were certain dynamics or ways that, you know, you communicate that you think as a parent you're helping and you want to go and help. You just don't know how to help. Any advice that you would have for, you know, a couple tips on how to help and support their sons or daughters? This might not be easy to hear, but your child is their own being. They are their own person. You've been their guide and they have to make their own choices and they have their own journey to take and their own lessons to learn. And you can't protect them. You don't need to because those lessons are going to make them who they are. It's the fire in which their character will be born. The second thing is worrying is not love. Worrying is not love. And when we imagine our child in these terrible situations and we imagine the worst of what could happen, oh my God, you know, where's this going? That is envisioning a negative outcome for your own child. So you want to manage your own mind here. You want to manage the vision you have in your head. Visioning is really powerful. This is not woo woo stuff. It's backed by science. We know that when we envision something that we actually are 88% more likely to get it or to manifest it. Mm -hmm. They've actually done studies on this self-authoring. So what you want to do is really think of the best possible outcome for your child. Imagine them thriving. Imagine them working through their issues. Imagine them doing well in school and meeting great friends and having great life experiences and be there to talk with them, to listen, talk less, listen more. It's a good tagline. It should be a bumper (laughs) sticker. Talk less, listen more. One part before I asked you the last two questions is something I took on for my parents, which irritated me when I was young. They would always say, take out a pen and paper and do the pros and cons. And I'm like, oh, honestly, can't you just tell me the answer? What should I do? And fast forward, (laughs) that's what I do with my kids. And I will say my daughter called up recently and it was a dilemma that she had. And I took out that pros and cons. And that's what I'm sharing with all my friends. A friend called up and asked for advice. And she said, take out your pen and paper or your iPhone and do pros and cons. So that's always something good. And again, you may get the eyes rolling, you know, with your student, with your son or daughter friend, whatever, saying you didn't give me the answer that didn't help. But it does in the end when you look at that piece of paper 24 hours later or two days later. So just a little bit of advice. I just want to say everyone out there listening, Moira has been telling you about her relationship with her daughter and with her children. Listen to her advice because I meet very few parents who have that kind of intimate, connected, bonded relationship with their child. It's so beautiful. I can't wait to interview you (laughs) to talk about how you did what you did and created those relationships with your kids. It's so profound and you have a lot to teach people and to share with 
with people, a lot of wisdom there. It's not without a box of tissues, crying, screaming, and yelling. But I think (laughs) at the end, it's a lot of hard work, but it's worth it in the end. Thank you, Kate. What do you wish you knew before attending college? I wish I knew that, that learning and learning from different types of people, different ages, different disciplines is essential that the best ideas come of interdisciplinary studies, that the best, most inspired, most interesting ideas that actually impact the world, that actually have the capacity to solve problems are at the convergence of different subjects and different disciplines. And so don't just stick with one thing, expand your knowledge base, learn from many different people in many different fields. That's where the ideas will come to you. That's where you'll have those, oh, eureka moments. Um, And it might not happen, you know, in the next year or even the next five years, but it will happen. So learn as much as you can become intellectually curious. It is the most important marker of a successful life. So that's what I would say. I'd like to be in class with you, Kate. We'll go back for like a PhD or something in our (laughs) next life. Do you have a favorite dessert or food at a college town? I do. It's called Mochi Doki on Spring Street in New York. I went to NYU, so I chose something for my alma mater. And I'm a huge fan of Japanese snacks and sweets. I just Mm. love Japanese snacks. They're so cute. I love the packaging and I love the green tea and all the different sorts of beans that they use. And I'd highly recommend that one. Mochi Doki. Kate, thank you so much for your wisdom, advice, your energy. Thank you for coming on our show today. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I can't wait to do this again. Thank you, Kate, for shedding light on the importance of self-awareness and self-reflection. Being vulnerable is not a weakness, but a powerful tool you can use to learn about yourself and understand how you have been shaped as a person. This understanding is not only important during the college application process, but throughout your entire life. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com podcast. You can learn more about Kate and University Gurus on their website at universitygurus.com. Please take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops. Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.